Well, if you'd like to follow along this morning, you can turn to the New Testament letter of Galatians, and we'll be in chapter 2 in our study of Galatians. And I'd like to just, as I, I do often on a Sunday morning, just give a little bit of context, because I think that's important to understand, especially if you're visiting or you're just jumping in in the middle of, of Galatians. Galatians is one of Paul's letters to his friends, and he wrote a number of letters. In fact, he we have more from Paul in the New Testament than any other writer. This is probably his first uh, that he wrote to a group of churches in Central Asia, uh, modern-day Turkey as we know it now. If, if I were to pick one book out of the entire Bible that explains Christianity most fully, do you know what book that would be? Romans. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but that was a trick. That, that's not nice, isn't it, when you do trick questions? But if you were to take a, a shorter version of Romans, it would be Galatians. Galatians just brings great clarity to Christianity. And so Romans is like the full-orbed explanation of what it means to be a Christian. And Galatians is, is six chapters rather than 16 then. And it's a little bit of what we call a polemic. It's, it's almost like he's, he's arguing against some problems. And so he has a little bit of a, a different approach. If we were to boil it down to a, a simple theme, Galatians, it would be this. It would be called to be free. Called to be free. And that's God's will for us is that we be free. Free from sin. Free from death. Uh, free from all of these things that pain our lives. And, and that would be something that would resonate with every single person here. Uh, all of us would just say, yes, I want to be free. And Paul talks about two ways we find ourselves in bondage. Uh, one is self-righteousness. You know, when, when you have to just keep the law, keep the law, keep the law, you know, dot every I, cross every T, be in church, give my money, live a good life. To, you know, we become slaves to the law. And it just ties you up in a knot. That's why that type of Christianity, no one wants. Because these people walk around and their faces just look sour and sad and just under this bondage of keeping the law. So that's one ditch you can drive into. Uh, the other ditch is instead of self-righteousness would be self-indulgence. It's um, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I, I kind of laugh. I used to preach at or speak at a lot of uh, high school graduations and college graduations, and, and some speakers would say, um, follow your heart. Young people, just follow your heart. I thought, man, if I did that, <laughs> by the end of the day, I'd be dead. Um because my heart is wicked, it's corrupt, I know myself. And if I just kind of did whatever I want to do, if you were to say that to a young teenager in your home, say, just go do whatever you, whatever you feel, just go do it. Well, that life would spiral out of control. And so even though we feel like, uh, it's like the kid, if he has this whole bag of candy, what does he feel like doing? Eating that whole bag last night. <laughs> and, but you know that it's not going to be good. And I think that even the self-indulgent person says, I just want to, to live for myself. And uh, probably one of the best illustrations of this whole thing would be uh, what we read. Jesus tells the parable, you know, of the, the prodigal son, the two sons. 
um, the son who who just went off and just spent his life on riotous living, uh, he was a mess. But the other son that was really smug and self-righteous, he was a mess too. <laughs> he just didn't realize it. And so this is what Paul is trying to, to, to get us free from, free from self-righteousness, free from self-indulgence, and he confronts a lot of hypocrisy, uh, particularly with, with Peter and others in the church there. So we're going to read uh, from verse 15 to verse 21. Uh, as we're going down there, verse 20 is probably the most familiar verse. To me, it's one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible, uh, Galatians 2.20. And this, when I started out Sunday afternoon looking at preaching on this, I almost felt just overwhelmed by it because I thought, how do I even begin to talk about something so great as this text? But Lord willing, it will be something that encourages you today. Galatians 5, uh, Galatians chapter 2, sorry, verse 15. We who are Jews, uh, Paul is speaking by birth and not he says, sinful Gentiles, in other words, people who are not non-Jews, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in, in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But If in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been, this is, this is 220. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Father, we pray that this morning you would open our eyes and our minds to to see and our hearts to believe and that you would take uh, this text of Scripture and just drive its truth into us to bring about the freedom that you speak about. Help us not to be in bondage in this world, but really to live as you have intended for us to live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably the thing that bothers us the most today about people is when they're not real, when it's superficial, it's phony, it's uh, maybe condescending. You just say, I just don't, I don't trust that person. And there is a rising cry for authenticity. So if I were to describe the contrast, hypocrisy, authenticity. We want authenticity. We deplore hypocrisy. Uh, it's really easy for me to see it in you, hypocrisy. I mean, we are, we are just adept at pointing out the hypocrisy in other people. <laughs> and most of us are pretty blind when it comes to seeing it in our own lives. And that's the way the Pharisees were. And in this passage, chapter 2, the, the Apostle Paul is really confronting, he's facing hypocrisy in the church, 
It's not, it takes a lot of courage because he's doing it with Peter, who is probably the foremost apostle, but Peter is guilty of hypocrisy, and Barnabas is guilty of hypocrisy, and they are leading people in the church down this road of hypocrisy. Because they're saying they believe in grace through faith, but now they're insisting that all of these people keep these laws and regulations. And, and, and we enjoy putting that upon people, kind of our own construct upon Christianity. So Paul is, and this passage is a little bit hard to understand when I just read it, but what he's saying is if, if we go back, if we're set free by the grace of God, if we're set free by Jesus dying for our sins, why in the world would you go back to be enslaved by law-keeping? By trying to prove righteousness before God by, by keeping all of these laws. And then he launches into Galatians 2.20, that, that great text. So once we've faced hypocrisy... Um, now the, the challenge is, and, I, and I've always felt this way, you know, focus, you see what the problem is, but let's move from the negative observation of the problem to where we really need to be as believers. We know we should not be hypocrites, right? <laughs> uh, I should not be a hypocrite. I should be able to confront it in my own life, and we need to have enough courage to confront it with each other. But the challenge is, and title of the message this morning is Get Real, Moving from Hypocrisy to authenticity. And that's my prayer for each one of us. What is hypocrisy? And I think they're probably, you know, we defined it last week by saying it's, it's playing the part. It's like putting the mask on. Hypocrisy is, is, is you're, not, you're not being real. But it, it's not living differently than you feel. Let me, and, and let me define this because I think this is really important to understand. Let's say that on Sunday morning I come to church and I feel just horrible. I mean, I don't if you really want to know the truth, I'm not doing well at all. I'm in a bad mood. Life stinks. I've had a horrible week. I'm mad at everybody. So I'm walking in the door. And I, I look at you and, I, and, I, and I, I put a smile on my face. And I start acting joyful. <laughs> You say, ha, ha, hypocrite. That's really not a hypocrite. If I act differently than how I feel, that's not being a hypocrite. Being a hypocrite is when I act differently from what I believe. Let me explain that. The Bible commands us, rejoice always. Give thanks in everything. Now, when is that supposed to happen? All the time. Okay, so so if I give thanks in everything, even though it is really hard for me to do this morning, and the Bible says rejoice always, and I'm doing it, and I, it's really hard to do this morning because life is the pits, are not I being obedient to what God has commanded me to do? Say, but, but that's not really how you feel. That's right, that's not how I feel. But I think part of the Christian life is not following my feelings, but following what I know is true. Now, being a hypocrite is when I say, I believe, I believe what God's saying here. You pick any text, I believe this is true. But I'm refusing to live that way. 
That's hypocrisy. Authenticity, and I hope I'm not confusing you with that, because you're, you're, I'll tell you, your feelings, my feelings are like this, up and down, up and down. And, and, if, and if I walked in the door of my home every day and just spilled my guts to how I was feeling, how healthy would that be for my family? <laughs> I know how I should be. And by faith, I act, I take God at his word, I trust to follow him. Authenticity. What is authenticity? Well, you know what? That's just who I am. You just have to accept that's the way I am. Well, I don't really like the way you are. Um, and, and this is kind of this authenticity movement that we're finding. I posted a, a link on my Facebook from Gospel Coalition uh, yesterday. If you want to read this article, I think it's outstanding. Uh, Paul had mentioned it to me first, and, uh, and then Diane was reading it to me. I think several others have you seen this, this authenticity. People feel like, you know what, this is just who I am, and and that the world needs to see you in the raw, just just a raw person. And you just need to accept, you know what, I'm an impatient, angry person. That's just the way I am. Or I just talk about everything, or I just gossip all the time. That's just the way I am. That's, you just need to accept who I am. That's authenticity. Well, <laughs> what that ends up being is, is you in your flesh, me in my flesh, is pretty ugly. It really is. It's pretty ugly. When you take Christ out of everything and you just look at the, the human factor, it is not a pretty sight. And that is not a good thing for you just to get used to. So authentic what? That's not authentic Christianity. What Paul is talking about here is authentically Christian is not you seeing more of Matt Olson. It's you seeing more of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Galatians 2.20 says. It says this, I am crucified with Christ. But I live. I'm not dead. Yet not me but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this morning, what I'd like to just outline for us are the three characteristics of an authentic Christian life. Now, I'm not just talking about authentic money or an authentic car or authentic you. I'm, to, I'm, th- I'm talking authentic Christianity authentically what you should be, authentically what I should be. First is I am dead in Christ. Death. He said, this is not going well (laughs) when you talk about death. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. The worst possible death during the time of this writing was to be crucified. Persons taken they're stripped of their clothes, they're beaten, they're nailed, they're nailed to a wood cross, and it's usually right along the highway where everybody's traveling, and they hang there until they die. Now, this is how Jesus was put to death, and Paul says, I I put my identity in him, I am dead with Christ. Well, why is that so important? If we go all the way back to Genesis, and do you remember when, when 
if you read through the first part of Genesis, it, it, God says to Adam, the day that you eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day that you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Now, he ate of it. He ate of the tree. Did he drop dead? He didn't drop dead then, but he became spiritually dead that moment. He was spiritually dead, and his body began to die. And so this is why when we come into Romans chapter 6, it says the wages of sin is death. In other words, the, the consequence of sin is death. So this death has passed upon every generation since Adam until now. You know what? We, we, we've all sinned, so we've inherited that from Adam. Thank you, Adam. I don't know that we could do a better job, but thank you, Adam. Adam and Eve sinned. They passed on that sinful nature all through these generations. And the consequence of that sin is that I have a sinful nature, and I too sin, and I too die. You know, take a look around this room. Every single person in this room is going to die. I think that's not a, that's not a great thought, but it, it's going to happen. We all are going to die. Why is that? Because of sin. And, and so when Jesus came and died on the cross, he came to defeat the last enemy, which is death. He came to defeat sin, and the consequence of sin is death. And, that's, and that is the, the real effect of what Christ did. So Paul says, I identify in his death. What did Jesus do? when he died on the cross. And I, I like to say it this way, death death to death. He put death to death. <laughs> but think about it. He put death to death. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated the condemnation that comes with sin. He paid the penalty of your sin. When we sin, the consequence is, consequence is death. You sinned, I sinned, the consequence is death. Jesus died and paid for that. We have used these words, the penalty of sin, that Jesus conquered the penalty of sin. Sin no longer makes me guilty. I am no longer guilty. Romans 5 says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But also, he puts to death the power of sin over you. In other words, before Christ, you couldn't help but sin. With Christ, now, he has, Satan has no right. He has no control over you. There is no reason for shame because Jesus Christ has washed away your sins. And someday, we'll be released from the presence of sin when we enjoy a new heavens and a new earth that he has provided for his people. This is what we look forward to. And this is what we have as hope. So while we suffer like the rest of the world suffers, cancer, sickness, heart attacks, car accidents, tragedies, world catastrophes, we, we suffer all of these things. But we keep it in an eter- eternal perspective because we have hope. This is not what we're living for. This world is, is going to pass away. And what we look forward to is eternal life. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is that his death puts to death the power of sin, the penalty of sin 
It puts to death guilt. It puts to death shame. Galatians chapter 6, this is just at the end of his letter. He says, may I never, Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, what he's saying, sometimes he uses this language, you got to think, what did he just say? In other words, I'm dead to the world and the world is dead to me. I'm dead to the world. This decaying, fallen world, I'm dead to it. And the world is dead to me. Because I find my identity in his death. So I am dead with Christ. And his death put to death the power of sin over me. And the condemnation that was upon me, he put that to death. And he set me free. But then he goes on. Secondly, the second characteristic is, is he says, I'm alive. He said, I'm crucified with Christ, yet I'm alive. And this life is that Christ lives in me. And the uniqueness of Christianity from all other religions in the world is that we have a resurrected Savior. That Jesus died for our sins to pay the penalty. He took upon all of our sins upon him. He washed them away with his blood, but that's not the end of it. In his death, he defeated sin. In his life, he, he defeats death. So those are the two things that, that, that there's not a person in here, apart from Christ, can conquer. Number You can't overcome sin, and you can't overcome death, but he did both. And he is very much alive. To the Ephesian church, he said, as for you who you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. You probably are familiar with the picture of of baptism and Back next Sunday, Sunday afternoon, we'll have a baptism. And a baptism is a, is a physical expression of a spiritual reality. That we are in Christ and His death, buried. In other words, when a person goes under the water, they're buried with Christ. This is a picture. That's all it is, is a picture. It doesn't save you. All it is, is a picture. You're buried with Christ, raised in with Him in life, in resurrection. And so we do that after we become Christians to be a testimony of the fact of what happened before that is that we trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. And this is what Paul says in Romans 6. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly be united with him in resurrection like, like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, 
we believe that we will also live with him. So, this is the great truth. When you believe upon Christ, you identify with his death, all that is put to death, the power of it over you, the power to control you, to shame you, to put you into guilt and condemnation, and you are in his life, adopted by him into his family, given eternal life, abundant life, secure life. You will never die. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Anyone who is in Christ is a, is a, is an, is a completely new creation. So authenticity is not all about you, it's all about Christ. Authenticity is Christ, the Christ's life in us. So those are the first two, that we, we died with him, we live with him, and third, we walk with him. Uh, Paul says this at the end of Galatians 2.20, The life I live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, how would I describe this body, okay? My body, how would I describe that? <laughs> no comments. I read one commentator said, your body is the donkey you ride around on. <laughs> I thought that's pretty good. Your body is the donkey you ride around on. And now, if I have this death I'm dead to all this, and I have this new life in Christ. I'm still in this fallen world, and I'm still riding this donkey. <laughs> okay? So in other words, living the Christian life is hard. In case you didn't already recognize that, that living by faith and believing and trusting is, is very, very hard. Because we live in a fallen world, we're all riding around on this flesh, this donkey that it always has a, a bent to do wrong. And a lot of things we just can't see. We can't see. We read it in the scriptures, the promises of God, the assurances of God. We just don't see it and we're not feeling it. It's like someone said to me, he said, well, hello. That's why they call it faith. <laughs> because if, if you could see it, it wouldn't be faith. How do I believe God? Wow. How do I believe Him when I'm not seeing it? And that's why Paul gives us such a great verse like this. I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, I'm dead with Him. I'm alive with Him. And the life that I now live, this, this life in this body, I live by faith. I live by faith. And faith... If I could give a definition of faith, it's simply this. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is taking God at his word. Now, that's not too hard to do when things are going well. You know what? You just got a new job, moved into a new house, paid off your debt, kids are all doing great. Once in a while in life we get those moments. <laughs> Once in a while we get those spans of time like, you know, life is just good. Don't have any sicknesses, don't have any diseases, don't have any problems going on, and I just love Jesus and I believe His Word. But faith is hard when 
you're, you're trusting in God and all of a sudden everything begins to unravel. And, and typically what, what takes place is it'll be a series of events. And these things happen to other people too. They get sick. You've got to lose your job. You go through challenges and difficulties and possibilities. Lord, where are you? It's like David in the Psalms. He said, Lord, where have you gone? How far have you gone from me? So you, that's the way you feel. So it is a, it is a tremendous exercise of faith to take God at his word. Remember the story of Job? Job, the, the story of Job starts out with Job was a righteous man and there wasn't anyone like him in his day. Now, if you just read that part, you'd say, that's the life I want. <laughs> or you, also the part about how many sheep and how many children and how many riches he had. Man, what a life. And, and God was pleased with him. But then you start to see Job go through tremendous trials. And, 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 and partway through in Job thirteen fifteen, here's what he says. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I think that's one of the most profound verses in all of the Bible on faith. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Someone once told me that faith is no real faith unless it's tested. Because otherwise we just say we have it. But real faith gets tested. Am I going to take God at his word at this? Am I going to to keep on believing him? And so as you believe and respond in faith, you show the life of Christ. Do you follow me on that? As you believe, and as you exercise your faith in believing, you show the authentic life of Christ. That's what the world needs to see. They don't need to see the real you. They don't need to see like, this is just the way I am. Accept it. No, the, what the world needs to see, what the church needs to see, what your kids need to see is the authentic Christ. And as you believe and have faith and exercise that faith, what shows is the life of Christ. That's what he's saying. Christ lives in me. People see Christ. You know, if people get around you and they're talking about all of your great qualities and your character and your abilities and your talent and your discipline, you've probably missed it. All your moral behavior... What they need to see is they need to see Christ. That is authentic Christianity. It's not the authentic you, it's the authentic Christ that the world needs to see. What does it look like if, now this is not a perfect life, but let's say every day I live by faith, I take God at his word, I stumble, (laughs) we all stumble, but I come back to this, I take God at his word. I'm going to take God at his word. You're faced with a new trial this week. I'm going to take God at his word. Here's what he says. Here's what he's proven in the past. Here's what he's called me to do. When I exercise that faith, people begin to see what Christ looks like in you and through you. If we go to the last part of Galatians chapter 5, verse 19... Um, he kind of describes the two the two ways people can see it. If if, um, 
if, if I say to you, you know what, it's just who I am, it's just the way that I am, and uh, it's almost like uh, in your face. You're just going to have to get used to that's that's who I am, and so the the modern day authenticity that we're that we're seeing is that gives me an excuse for bad behavior. Does that make sense? It's just an excuse for bad behavior. Galatians five nineteen says the acts of the flesh are obvious. So what what does it look like when they just get you? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. (laughs) That's what you look like in the raw. That's not what the world needs to see. But then he goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, when, when Jesus Christ is working in your life and when you are exercising faith and belief, here's what it looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what it looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That's what Christ looks like. And then he goes on to say, since we live by the Spirit, verse 25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I love that picture, keeping in step. It's just like keeping in step. I'm walking. God's Word is washing my mind, I'm, I'm reading His Word, I'm seeing His works, He's calling to me to live by faith. It's not easy. And I can tell you this, that every day I stumble, every day I struggle. I had one pastor one time, he actually came to our college and he spoke to our students, and he said something like, you know, I've gotten to the point now where I'm walking with God that I go like six weeks without sinning. And all the students were out there like, I think they weren't impressed because he just lied. <laughs> it's kind of like all the students would say, liar, liar, pants on fire. You know, can, can either he's, he's got a really high view of himself or a very low view of sin. I remember reading one author says, I, there's nothing I've ever, ever done that's not tainted with my flesh. You know, for me, I, I can't get through one hour. I can't get through one hour without having something that's not pleasing to God. So every day, I battle this agony of humanity, this donkey I ride around on. So I have this death with Christ, I have this life in Christ, but I have to live by faith, which is riding around on this donkey, believing God, I'm going to believe, I struggle. I fall back. I need to come back. Lord, forgive me. I need to trust in you. And when you when you exercise that faith, you grow and you grow and you grow. And it's not because you not that you become this paragon of excellence. No, you become like Christ. You become like Christ. More and more, you become like Christ. And you know what's so exciting is it's a lifelong process. I said this before to you that I used to get kind of discouraged because I thought by the time I hit 40, I'll have all this down. In the Christian life, I'll have strong faith, believe in God, hardly ever sin. You know, it's like, by the time you hit 40, it's like, you're not even getting started yet. I know this, that, that every day is a battle. And yet, and yet, God keeps proving himself through this. And I think this is what Paul is really driving 
home to these believers. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't say it's, it's all by faith and then you get all wrapped up in your works again and you're, 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 you're creating this whole system of, of legalism. And don't get off on the self-indulgence where you're just going to, well, I'm all under grace now, I'll just do whatever I want to do because that's not grace. Identify yourself the perfect picture of freedom. This is what I'm going to end with here. The, and it's, it's, it's really kind of hard to, to grasp this. The perfect picture of freedom is I am crucified with Christ. It doesn't sound like much freedom because you're dead to the world. You're dead to sin. You're dead to death. You're dead to Satan. And you're alive. And, and the life is not you, the new improved you. No. The life is Christ. As He's working in you by faith. As you read God's Word, God shows you. You respond in faith, believing that. You exercise your faith. And you grow. And more and more people see what Christ is like. And what Christ is like is love. That's the most dominant characteristic. I think all the other ones are just manifestations. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That's what it looks like. As Christ is working in us. So as Paul did with Peter, we face hypocrisy with courage in our own lives and the lives of others. Now we need to be authentically Christian. This is my prayer for Valley Community Church, that the the people in this church are authentically Christian, not authentically perfect. We're not, but authentically Christian, dead with Christ, alive with Christ, walking with Christ. And our authenticity is not for us to show others the real me, but to show others the real Christ in me. As I continue to grow and walk by faith. Let's bow together as we pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word that helps correct us out of our error And we see it so much in Scripture, but we also see it in our own lives. The error of self-righteousness, where we just get all caught up about what we do, feel good about ourselves. The error of self-indulgence, where we just want to just do whatever we want. Father, I pray that we would see that the greatest freedom is in Christ. And dying with you, living with you, walking with you, And Lord, I pray our authenticity will not be just about showing ourselves, but showing Christ in faith every day, believing what is hard to believe, but taking you at your word. And when we stumble and fall, Lord, help us to get back up knowing that forgiveness is always there. It's been there. And we keep growing. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, there are two things really that I would be most passionate about for you. One is that you have come to the place in your life where you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior. Because that's why He came. He came to die for you, to die for your sins, to pay the price for your sins and to offer to you the gift of eternal life. I'd like to just ask you this question. Have you ever come to a place in your life where you have 
trusted in Jesus alone. Not your good works, not your church, not your religion, but have you come to the place where you've trusted in Jesus alone for eternal life and received that free gift? If you haven't done that, do that right now. Just right where you are, just call upon him in in your heart. Say, Lord, I believe, I believe. I accept the free gift of eternal life. And you know what? In that moment, you become a child of God. Your sins are washed away free. But my second question is for those of you that have already done that, are you walking in freedom? Are you walking in freedom? Some of you are in bondage to your legalism, your Phariseeism, your self-righteousness, your hypocrisy. Some of you are in bondage to your self-indulgence. You just feed your flesh. You do what you want to do, and it's bondage to you. The freedom that we find in Christ is to acknowledge these things and to, and, and to, to identify that you are dead with Him, you are alive with Him, you walk with Him. And by faith, taking God at His word and being authentically Christian. It's not authentically perfect. It's authentically Christian, revealing Christ. And maybe you this morning just need to say, Lord, forgive me for my self-righteousness, my hypocrisy. Lord, forgive me for my self-indulgence. And Lord, increase my faith. Help me to believe. Help me to be more in your word and to do what I know is right to do in taking you at your word and free me from the bondage that I experience and, and restore the joy of my salvation. Lord, keep working in us. We need it. Thank you for your faithfulness and your patience. In Jesus' name, amen.